Hello, good people. My name is Eduardo Darancu. I help people who are exhausted from working for a predatory economic system that no matter how hard you work, you just can't seem to make it. I help people who are feeling powerless, facing the economic uncertainty. I help people who feel overwhelmed, feeling in the depth of your bones the existential threat that is being placed on life on this planet and us as a species. I help people make sense of the political mayhem that threatens the very fabric of our democracy. I help people clearly see that the last tyrant that stands between us and the hollowed vision of democracy lives inside our minds and hearts. The insensate narrative that says we're not good enough, not smart enough, that limits us with its army of procrastination and rationalizations that constrain us into plain spall, that stops us from following our dreams and living our life purpose. That voice that is desperately urging us to return to normal and stop us from making radical change and stand up to defend what is sacred and essential to life. I do all of this by helping people clearly understand the immense opportunity that this crisis is presented to us as individuals and as a civilization. This understanding brings clarity into your life, helping you to see that you have the power, that you have the agency to not only find a reliable and stable source of income by finding your life purpose, but by living your life purpose, you help address the planetary change challenges that we face. We stand at the dawning of a new age, the patriarchy, our predatory economic capitalistic system is dying. What will come next is up to us. The opportunity at this crisis, the death of all that we have known, is presenting to us is to make a radical change in our lives, the way we make a living and all the systems that we support, to come together under a common cause and a common vision, to create a government and an economic system for the people and by the people. This radical change, the leadership needed to create this new age is forged inside your heart. The battle for our existential survival is waged in your everyday living with every thought, word, and choice that you make. What is your choice? To desperately try to return to normal or to make radical change? I'm here to share a story that shows how this personal change is the key pivot point to resolve the constellation of challenges that we face. A story that inspires and gives me great hope for 2021 humanity and our foreseeable future. A story that reveals the opportunity that the crisis is presenting to us as a civilization. A story that helps orient you in the chaotic and uncertain world to take confident action to meet your needs, wants, and desires in a healthy and regenerative manner. A story that empowers you to understand the economic, political, and environmental crisis that we're in, gaining clarity in finding and living your life purpose. A story that empowers you to meet your economic and higher needs in a healthy and regenerative manner. A story that cultivates creativity, inspiration, hope, and faith. 
a story that places you at the center of this epic climax in the story of humanity and gives you the tools to choose between fear and love, between desperately trying to return to normal or trusting yourself to become the warrior of love that makes radical change in your life. To understand what this radical change is, how love is indeed going to save us, and how this personal choice helps resolve the constellation of challenges that we face and leads us to a life of meaning and purpose, we must understand crisis. This understanding empowers you to harness the challenges that we face into the creation of the greatest version of yourself, helping to create the greatest living legacy of all time, a world and a way of being that future generations can be proud of. As the work of Carl Jung in Depth Psychology shows us, it is not our circumstances, but how we respond to them that determines our character and our life. Milton Friedman, one of the architects of a modern economic system, said that only during a great crisis, either perceived or real, does real change come about. According to the Webster, the West defines crisis as an unstable or crucial time in the state of affairs in which decisive change is impending, especially one with the distinct possibility of a highly undesirable outcome. The etymology of crisis is derived from the Greeks and the verb krino, which means distinguish, choose, decide. What is the choice before us? The East has a very different perspective on crisis because their logic, their worldview is very different than ours. Since Aristotle, Western logic, reason, and our worldview has been based on dualism, founded on the axiom a is not A, or A is A. That is, an object is something, or it is not. That is, this is good, or this is not good, but it cannot be good and not good at the same time. In the East, the logic is paradoxical. A can be A and not A at the same time. This can be good and not good at the same time. This logic is expressing the yin-yang of the Tao. Each part holds and is defined by the seed of the other. As one reaches the extreme end of black or white, the seed of the other germinates and begins to turn it into its opposite color in an ever-flowing of, re of regeneration. This not good, as it reaches it is, its extreme, becomes good. We stand at that point of transition. This paradoxical perspective is displayed in the Chinese ideogram for crisis that contains the symbols for danger and opportunity. As the dangers that this polycrisis are becoming ever more threatening and visceral, what is the opportunity that is before us? I have spent the last 20 years of my life understanding how we got ourselves into this crisis what are the root causes of the challenges, and more importantly, the resolution to those challenges? My journey began with my own crisis 20 years ago. I was working in LA deep in the hustle and the pursuit of material success. At 25, I was already making more money than I had ever dreamed of. 
the company offered me a promotion to make even more money. That night, I had the dark night of soul. A moment akin to Scrooge when he was given a panoramic view of his life. I revisited my life and how I had become a shadow of myself. I got to re-witness the moments that I faced the choice between following my dreams or following society's common sense in the pursuit of material success. I felt the pain of losing a part of myself, of lying to myself, and investing my energy into a dream that was not my own, following what society told me. I realized that I had ignored my dreams for so long that I had lost, lost touch with them, and I had no idea of who I really was. After that emptiness, feeling that pain for a while, I was then taken to the Republic of Congo. An almost CNN reel of the atrocities that are being committed. I felt the pain of the children that are being enslaved by gangsters to mine for the precious material that make the electronics that I was selling possible, that made my material success possible. I saw the women being raped by those gangsters. Gangsters that are put into power through our economic system. I felt how the earth was being desecrated and polluted and how my work and what I did with my life, my way of living was contributing to all this. I felt and saw what most of us are becoming aware of, that our pursuit for material dis success has disconnected us from our dreams, creating a life of emptiness and turned us into cogs in an economic machine that is masticating the world and its people. I became aware that my way of life, how I was making a living, was supporting a system that is driving us towards the sixth mass extinction. The pain and suffering that I experienced left me no other choice than to make radical change in my life. I handed in my resignation and devoted myself to connect to my internal guidance system, to my dreams, believing that this would lead me to how I could be of service in resolving the immense pain and the suffering that is ravaging our world. I moved to New York City with the belief that there is, if there is any place where I would answer these questions, where I would find my life purpose, it surely would be here. I dove deep into the self-improvement arena, attending Landmark, Tony Robbins, as, many, as well as many esoteric paths. I became a fitness instructor, feeling that the process of spiritual, emotional, and psychological growth is analogous to physical growth. Find your edge, go beyond what you think is possible. It's painful and uncomfortable, but that is the process of growth. Step into the unknown, step into the untried, recover and grow. I felt that I could help people build the muscle of transformation and growth that would empower them to live their lives. I then moved to an ashram to study Yoga Vedanta philosophy and meditation, a 5,000 year old practice and methodology to alleviate suffering. A foundational premise is that all suffering is sourced from the monkey mind. 
The story that is used to describe this is a horse-driven carriage. The horse is our mind. For most of us, our carts, our lives are driven by the horses. How much sense does that make? Through the process of meditation, we harness, we become aware of our thoughts. And we harness those horses, empowering the coachman to direct our lives. More importantly, we connect to the passenger, our soul, our life purpose to direct our lives. After a few years, I had another dark night of the soul, another crisis, where I connected with the billions of people that are living under the tyranny of poverty. I imagine myself telling a woman in the slums of Mexico, just meditate and all the suffering will be alleviated. I felt myself slapped upside the head and her telling me, get a job, hippie. My internal guidance system told me that I had to find a way to create a re reliable source of food and water to alleviate the poverty in our world. I headed down to the desert in southern Mexico where my sister and her family had transformed buried arid land into lush savanna through regenerative agriculture. I became a cowboy and learned how to care and steward land, how to create a reliable source of food and water. Yet I had another dark night of the soul, where I felt how the fossil fuel companies are polluting the earth and driving us towards the sixth mass extinction. I took a job in London with an energy brokerage business that specialized in providing green energy. What I discovered is that green energy was already outcompeting fossil fuels, but the power of the fossil fuel companies made it nearly impossible for these green energies to truly flourish. I did not feel that battling the corporations was my battle. My focus then became community building. In my research, I discovered, I discovered that for 95% of our human history, we lived in community and tribe where our needs for connection and a sense of belonging were met. I felt the epidemic of loneliness and isolation that we're living through was caused because of this lack of community, because we didn't have an environment to truly connect and be seen by others. I was given the golden opportunity to be the project manager in regenerative agriculture to lead the building of a community in Costa Rica that had the resources and the people to create a model that could be used throughout the world. But this came to a fiery and dramatic end because at the core of my being, I still did not believe I was lovable. In my belief that I was not worthy, I created an epically challenging situation to prove my worth that in the end completely eroded me and left me broken. I realized that I was not doing things for love, but to gain love. Another dark night of the soul, as the lessons from the ashram came back to me, we create our outer reality from our inner reality. We create our world through our unconscious beliefs. I once again reconnected to the power of our inner landscape and the power of our unconscious beliefs that were forged during our most formative and vulnerable years. I rededicated myself to the path of self-improvement and sharing all that I had learned with men, guiding them to connect to their feelings, 
to develop communication skills to express and get their needs met in a healthy and regenerative manner. Getting clear what their dreams and that they have that, that they have the power to live the life they dreamed of. The results have been amazing. The men found a new sense of purpose, a new confidence, a new strength of vulnerability, gaining clarity in their lives, creating bonds of connection and intimacy with their love, loved ones, living from a powerful state that led to compassionate courage, living a wholehearted life, engaging life to the depths of their possibilities, gaining a mindset that their life was not determined by their circumstances, but how they responded to them. They were able to tame their monkey mind, harnessing their higher cognitive realms of emotional awareness and reason to leverage the full breadth of the creative abilities to live the life they dreamed of. In October 2018, when the UN Climate Report came out, giving us 12 years to make radical change to our way of life and our economic system, or face an inhospitable world for life, accelerating towards the critical threshold into the sixth mass extinction, I felt the existential crisis that we're in and devoted myself heart and soul to understand the root cause of the challenges that we face and more importantly, how to resolve them. I dove into our collective history, re-examining the last 200,000 years of our story, diving into how we lived before recorded history, before the patriarchy, and how the patriarchy came to rule humanity, and what were its effects. What I discovered was so inspirational, that this crisis is the crescendo, an epic story that offers us the possibility to create the fabled golden age, an age filled with peace and harmony, where the needs of all are met, when we learn to honor and respect nature, each other and ourselves, resolving the constellation of challenges that we face. As you can imagine, it's quite a complex and long story, but it's quite a simple one. To understand the simplicity, I will share in this podcast the story from the vantage point focused on the economic lens and the economic crisis that we face. How you making a radical change in how you live your life and make a living empowers you to find a reliable and stable source of income and helps to address the challenges that we face. So let's get back to understanding crisis. I was trained as a mechanical engineer, and as such, I turned to understand crisis from the scientific perspective. In nature, crisis is referred to as a phase shift. Crisis, this phase shift, is a natural, common, and integral part of life. Crisis is when one thing comes to an end and is transformed into another when a substance, an element, or a species changes, phase shifts from one state to another. Death, decomposing the old to form the fecund soil for life to be born again in an ever-going cycle of regeneration. A poetic example is the caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. Once the caterpillar has grown its body 
acquired enough resources, it builds its cocoon and begins to digest itself into an oozing sludge. At a certain point, the imaginal cells come online, creating a crisis. The ooze believes the imaginal cells are a foreign object, a disease, and begins to attack it. The imaginal cells, being very few at the time, find themselves in an immense crisis, a most challenging situation, facing overwhelming odds. Yet, eventually, they turn the tide and turn the ooze into the butterfly wings, the body, and all the rest going through a phase shift from a caterpillar into a butterfly. An everyday example is water. Water is a liquid in most everyday experience. But as we heat water and it reaches its boiling temperature, it begins to turn into a gas. We as a species are going through this alchemical process. The challenges, the crisis that we face is nature turning up the heat, both literally and figuratively. This crisis is actually supporting us in our own phase shift. Nature will continue to turn up the heat, intensifying the crisis until we make radical change, undergoing our own phase shift or become extinct. The crisis that we're facing are actually propelling us to become aware of the water that we swim in, cultivating the birth of a new age and a new human. Imagine yourself as a water molecule, having lived your entire life as a liquid molecule with all the other liquid molecules. Like a fish in water, unaware of the water that we swim in. As the heat increases, you begin to turn into a gas molecule. As someone who had been a liquid water molecule, it would be most difficult to grasp what it would be like to be a gas molecule. How could you tell your other liquid molecules that we can rise above the surface, that we can float into the sky, carried by the currents of the atmosphere to seed clouds, able to water the soil and extinguish the fires of our own creation? To get an idea of what this gas state looks for us as humans, Let's take a broader look at the evolution of humans within the context of life. One of the fundamental characteristics that determines the evolution of different life forms of different species, such as rabbits, humans, trees, ins insects, and the rest of life is population growth. As a young species enters a new environment, it is driven by competition to acquire resources and territory to ensure its reproduction, survival, and success. Referred to as a pioneering species, as the species reaches the environment's carrying capacity, that is, the maximum population that the environment can sustain, as resources become scarce, the species reaches a critical juncture, either adapt to the constraints of the changing environment or maintain the old ways, continue with normal, and perish, becoming extinct. That is the choice we as a species and individuals face, evolve or perish. Species that adapt to the constraints of the carrying capacity mature, evolving by learning how to cooperate, how to share resources and territory, 
creating a symbiotic webbing of interconnection and interdependence, making the whole system more resilient and efficient, shifting the core drive and the most effective success strategy of the species from one based on competition to one based on cooperation. A visceral example is an old growth forest where trees share resources, water, and nutrients through an underground webbing of roots and mycelium connections to distribute what is needed where it is needed, creating a resilient, regenerative, symbiotic ecosystem characterized by diversity, mutual support, and interdependence. This evolutionary shift from a pioneering to succession species is an integral facet of nature. We, as a species, crossed our planet's carrying capacity in the 1970s. As such, our environment, the system that we live in, has been evolving and this new species of humans has been emerging. We are on the leading edge of adaptation and transformation. We are the caterpillar in its cocoon, digesting ourselves, our earth, and each other to form the fecund soil for massive transformation. We are the first imaginal cells evolving our collective body into the butterfly. The challenge that we face, the crisis, is that ooze, the old patriarchal system attacking and making it very hard for the imaginal cells to grow. But let us remember that the universe is bent towards justice. We are in a natural process with a proven track record to produce radical change leading to peace, mutual support, cooperation, and harmony. To return to the boiling water example, the climate, economic, political, cultural, and personal crises is nature turning up the heat both figuratively and literally. Nature will continue to turn up the heat, making life more inhospitable, forcing us to see that our old ways that normal are leading us towards extinction, intensifying the choice, extinction or evolution. Our only hope is to make a radical change to our lives and our way of being, to shift our values from competition and selfishness to cooperation and mutual support understanding that we're all interconnected and interdependent, that our health and well-being is only possible if the health of the system, of the environment, of the planet, and all her children and life forms are healthy and taken care of. Now, as much as I and you would love to believe that we're good people, that we're willing to help our neighbor, that we do our best to do our part in reducing our carbon fruit footprint and to take care of our environment, that at the bottom of our hearts, we are caring people willing to cooperate. The reality is that most of us are still operating from a pioneering species mentality, ruling us through our unconscious. We are forced to spend the vast majority of our time hustling in a predatory economic system an economic system that forces us to compete, a system based on scarcity, greed, and selfishness. 
an economic system that produces the fear of not having enough, permeating our lives with a constant undertone of anxiety, unsure if we're going to make it through this crisis, gripped by our survival mechanism that is reacting to our current situation, to our planet being on fire. This fear is activating that voice inside of us all, the voice that tells us we're not good enough, not strong enough, not smart enough, not enough, which drives us harder and harder to prove that we're enough through material success. Being enough in our society is determined by our material success driving us desperately back to normal. This primal instinct it was, is, is what is repressing our collective and individual will to make radical change in our lives and the economic, political, cultural systems that we support and invest our life force into. In my experience, acting from a primal state from my flight or fight mechanism usually leads to more chaos, pain, and suffering. The great news is that humans have the ability to choose. We have all the tools to shift from a primal to a regenerative state. We are able to override our reptilian thinking to get out of our survival mechanism and harness our higher realms of consciousness, emotional awareness and reason, grounding into our regenerative state, sinking into our optimal zone, entering the fable now, leveraging the full range of our creative abilities and faculties to meet the, ha the task at hand. Our house is on fire. We are tasked to take a break, to take a breath, shifting from our primal state to a regenerative state, to take the most effective actions to put out that fire. One of the tools that has given me the most inspiration helped me to understand the crisis, the phase shift that we're in, and empowers us to shift my state from a primal to a regenerative one is the evolution that is taking place in our scientific understanding of the universe, the world, and our place within it. Our modern worldview has been based on dualism, on the idea of separation. Our scientific revolution was based on the scientific process in which the observer measures and experiments on an object. As this process was applied to the fundamental nature of reality, as science pierced deeper and deeper into the essence of matter, we discovered there is no separation, that matter and energy are intimately interconnected that an object is affected by the observer, that there are no separate objects. Each thing is defined and informed by the context that it is in, by the observer and its environment. We live in a vast energetic web of interconnection and interdependence. I will share more about this piece centered on cosmology later on, but for now, I would like to focus on the practical ways that this emerging scientific understanding help us to resolve the crisis that we're in, breaking us free from dualism. 
Our society has been gripped by this dualistic mindset looking for an isolated solution. This emergent understanding shows that no solution can be found unless we understand the context, the environment, the system that created the problem, and how the system affects the individual. This system's understanding of the crisis has three main territories. One, society, in particular our economic system. Two, the individual, composed of each person's inherent nature and how they are affected by the society that we're born into. Three, the stories that determine our cultural common sense that serve as the sub-program the interface between society and the individual, the stories that determine how we see the world and our place in it, which determine our beliefs and our values. These stories structure our economic system. These stories are the matrix we live in, both creating the world we live and the world inside. Stories are so important and powerful because they are the means by which we navigate the world. They allow us to interpret life's complex and contradictory signals. We all possess a narrative instinct, an innate disposition to listen for an account of who we are and where we stand. When we encounter a complex issue and try to understand it, what we look for is not a consistent and reliable facts, but a consistent and comprehensible story. When we ask ourselves whether something makes sense, the sense we seek is not rationally, as scientists and philosophers perceive it, but narrative fidelity, common sense. Does what we are hearing reflect the way we expect humans and the world to behave? Does it hang together? Our modern common sense, the story that determines our values and beliefs, as well as structuring our economic system, was birthed during the burgeoning industrial age, the birth of capitalism and the promise of progress. The promise of progress and capitalism is founded on the promise of material success would lead to happiness that material success would empower us to meet all of our needs, that capitalism will provide the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people, and that this would lead to unimpeded personal freedom for all. Capitalism had removed the shackles of, middle age, of the Middle Ages, set us free from class and birth to do with our lives what we dreamed. We were only limited by our ingenuity, intelligence, and worth ethic. The promise that material success would bring about personal happiness and fulfillment seduced our ancestors to become the first cogs in the machine. This promise has sustained the hopes and faith of generations, seeding America, democracy, and the Western world. This promise drives our economic system. This promise convinced us, like our ancestors, to become cogs in the machine, making us believe that material success will empower us to meet our needs, that we will find self-esteem, a source of pride, that we will find meaning and purpose, 
that we will be able to have a home, a family, and if we work hard enough and save enough, we can retire one day and really do what we want, all through material success. Our modern common sense is to get a good education so that you can get a good job and work hard so you can pay your bills and save for your retirement. Our common sense is desperately urging us to return to normal, to get back to work and make that essential money to pay our bills. The gift of this crisis is that it is clearly showing us that the promise of progress and capitalism is a lie. Its predatory economic system has indeed failed to fulfill its great promise. In this great pause, an ever-growing number of people are becoming aware that the pursuit of material success is not conducive to well-being, nor is it the way to fulfillment, meaning, purpose, or even maximum pleasure. We are becoming aware that we have been trapped in a consumer treadmill caught by the promise of material success, believing that we'll be satisfied and fulfilled by acquiring the latest product, by taking that vacation, by finding the right person. Yet what we experience after our momentary consumer fix is an ever-deepening sense of emptiness and powerlessness. The democratic dream of being independent masters of our lives ended when we began awakening to the fact that we have become cogs in an all-pervasive and persuasive machine with our thoughts, feelings, and taste manipulated by the corporations who hold the power, controlling both government and the mass media, delivering the carrot and the whip to make us work harder, yet never quite being able to make it driving us harder. Economic progress has remained restricted to the rich. Capital in our modern form of debt-based money was supposed to set us free from the shackles of class and birth. Yet if we look at income inequality during the Middle Ages and now, we find the same hierarchy of power and wealth, where the masses are exploited at the benefit of the very few. The middle class is evaporating, shackled by mounting debt. The poor fell further into destitution as millions of Americans lost their jobs with no real hope of their jobs coming back. We have created a fourth economic class that is rapidly expanding, the precariat, a group of workers that piece together a living on part-time work at minimum wage. They are finding their precarious living more and more challenging, not having an occupational identity or narrative that gives their lives meaning, swimming in an ocean of existential insecurity. Disposable humans in our predatory economic system, the Walmart, Amazon, and fast food chain workers of the world, there are 31 million Americans who are unemployed or working less than what they would want to. A vast number of industries and small businesses have closed down or face a dim future. We are entering a depression that is predicted to be more severe and longer lasting than the great one of 1929. We find ourselves exhausted from trying to make ends meet 
feeling powerless that no matter how hard we work, we just can't seem to make it. Economic progress has remained restricted to the rich nations, and much like personal wealth, the gap between rich and poor nations have ever widened. Technical and economic progress itself has created ecological dangers. The UN in 2018 gave us 12 years to make radical changes to our way of life and our economy or pass a point of no return where the vast majority of life on this planet will be increasingly threatened with extinction. Every day, 150 species are lost. Since 1998, we have experienced the 10 hottest years of our history. Food and water insecurity is increasing across the globe. We are accelerating towards the sixth mass extinction. Why did the great promise of capitalism fail? The failure of the great promise was built into capitalism by its two main psychological promises. One, the aim of life is material success. Material success will bring about health and well-being empowering us to meet our physical needs for food, warmth, and shelter, as well as our higher needs for connection, meaning, and purpose, self-actualization. Two, that the pursuit of material success is not only good for the individual, but essential to keep the economic system running and in the end will lead to collective harmony and peace. The absorbable data shows most clearly that material success does not produce well-being. We are a society of notoriously unhappy people, lonely, anxious, depressed, destructive, dependent, people who are glad when we have killed the time we are trying so hard to save. The pursuit of material success generates greed, competition, and selfishness. The pursuit of material success determines my behavior, my belief, and my values. It means I want everything for myself, that possession, not sharing, gives me pleasure, that I must become greedy because if my aim is material success, I am more the more I have. I must feel antagonistic towards all others, my customers, whom I want to gain more profit from my competitors, whom I want to outperform, my workers, whom I want to gain the most from and give the least to. I can never be satisfied because there is no end to my wishes. I must be envious of those who have more and afraid of those who have less. But I have to repress all these feelings in order to represent myself to others as well as to myself as the smiling, rational, sincere, kind human being everyone pretends to be. Burying these values of competition and selfishness deep into our own consciousness that drives us below our awareness. The passion for material success leads to never-ending class war. As long as everyone wants to have more material success, there must be formation of classes constantly battling each other for limited resources, limited work, and limited money. In global terms, there must be international war between rich and poor nations in the battle for resources, wealth, and materials. As to the second premise, 
that progress and material success would lead to planetary peace and harmony has become a self-evident lie. In this great pause, we have been starkly shown that it is our economic system, our way of life, our patriarchal, capitalistic common sense, desperately trying to return to normal that is driving us towards the sixth mass extinction. Nature, left to her own devices, has shown her immense power for healing and regeneration. The Ganges ran clear. The small clouds that hung perpetually over our cities lifted and revealed the ever-present blue sky. Animals returned to our wild places and natural parks. Nature regenerated herself. Yet, as we stop to ponder the reality of things, that it is our economic system, capitalism, that is driving us towards the sixth mass extinction, we feel overwhelmed facing the behemoth of the all-pervasive and persuasive system that seems to leave us no real choice to change things, paralyzing us into powerless and isolation, unable to see an alternative forward. As we contemplate the impasse of how to make a living without contributing to our predatory economic system, if our purpose in life is not material success, how will we live? How will we pay for our bills, for our food, for the things that make life worth living? How will we make ends meet without earning that paycheck and getting the essential money? To answer this question, we must first understand why material success makes so much common sense inside our head. How our society hardwired the values and beliefs that material success would lead to meaning, purpose, and will provide for all of our needs into our brains. At the birth of our modern world and capitalism, our ancestors clearly saw that they were being turned into indentured servants, that they were becoming cogs for the machine. The birth of capitalism and our modern world is marked with rebellion and violent protest these rebellions were quickly squashed through military force. After repeated attempts to change the circumstances, our ancestors succ succumbed and accepted the situation. They became the first cogs in the machine, obeying the system through violent oppression. This obedience was passed down to the next generation as common sense handed off to the next generation as that is just the way it is which soon became that is how it always has been becoming the common sense to get a good education so you can get a good job so you can meet your ends your needs it has not always been this way and it does not have to be this way anymore humans are a unique species we are born mostly helpless with an immense capacity to learn and adapt to our environment. A newborn is born with a hundred billion neurons and 20 billion synapses, those connections between neurons. By the time a child reaches the age of eight, we still have a hundred billion neurons, but a quadrillion neural synapses, a billion billion connections. This neural matrix has been learning. 
Each time that a child encounters a new thing, we record what it smells like, what it tastes like, what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like. Most importantly, we record the experience and the meaning. By the time we are seven, we have a way of seeing the world and we have a set of values and beliefs about how the world works and our place within it. A worldview that has, has been hardwired into our brains by the environment we were born into. When a human being is born, the stage is set. We have to eat and drink and therefore sooner or later we have to work to meet our needs. This means we have to work under the particular conditions and the ways that are determined for us by the kind of society into which we are born into. Both factors, the need for self-preservation and the social system, in principle, are unalterable by us as individuals. And they are the factors which determine the development of our common sense. The imperative need for self-preservation forces us to accept the conditions under which we have to live. Our families begin the indoctrination into society's common sense by programming us as to what is a good boy, what is a good girl. Later, the peculiarity of our socio-economic and cultural system become the primary factors in determining our common sense defining our form of work, our definition of success, our mode of life, defining what a meaningful life is, life is, our activities, our leisure, our pleasure, our values and belief. This does not mean that we cannot try together with others to affect certain socioeconomic and political changes, but primarily our personality, our common sense is molded by the particular mode of life of the society we are born into. The patriarchy's society's common sense is founded on obedience. One of the primary historical functions of the family over the last 5,000 years is to break the will of the child to conform to the cultural narrative, to obey common sense and their familial values. Parents know best. Remember, our, our, our ancestors were violently oppressed and handed their painful lessons to the next generation. They were only hoping for us to avoid pain. This is done so early on that most of us don't even realize that we have been programmed by society, the patriarchy's common sense, installing values and beliefs that are not our own forming a nucleus called our self-identity. We come to believe that we are this voice in our head. During our most formative and vulnerable years, through the process of being praised, if we do what we are told and reprimanded, if we follow our inspiration, our curiosity, we are disconnected from our real common sense, from our authentic voice. We are disconnected from our life purpose. When we listen to our real common sense, when we listen to our internal guidance system and it goes against what they say, the pain that is experienced erodes our trust in ourselves, in our intuitions, in our common sense. We stop trusting our feelings, our inspirations, our curiosity. We lose touch with our life purpose. 
the voice of our real common sense, our eternal guidance system becomes a faint whisper as the tyrant of society. Society's common sense is hardwired into our brains, becoming that incessant voice in our head that says we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not smart enough to follow our dreams. A voice that rules us through inauthentic fears and limiting beliefs. As adults, each time that we feel inspired, feel drawn to express ourselves or make a radical change in our lives to live our life purpose, if it goes against societies, against the patriarchies, against capitalism's common sense, the deep pain from our youth hardwired into our brains is triggered, propelling us to shut down, to stay small, to disconnect, and to not even try. This molding, this hardwiring of society's common sense, this repression of our emotions and life purpose presents a core entry point into the diagnosis of the crisis that we're in. To understand how the dysfunctional and unhealthy patterns in our society create the deep sense of emptiness, meaninglessness, and powerlessness that we feel. Healthy, unhealthy, and dysfunction. The term normal or healthy can be defined in two ways. Firstly, from the standpoint of a function society, one can call a person normal or healthy if they are able to fulfill the social role that they have to take in that given society. More concretely, this means that they have to be able to work in a fashion which is required in the particular society. They, that they have to be good cogs in the machine, and furthermore, that they are able to participate in the reproduction of society. That is, they can raise a family. Secondly, from the standpoint of the individual, we look upon health or common sense as the optimization of growth and fulfillment of the individual. Each person has a nature, a uniqueness, a special set of skills and talents with a soul's mission and a life purpose. Health and common sense is the fulfillment of that purpose. If the structure of a given society were, were such that it offered the optimum possibility for individual fulfillment, both points would coincide. However, this is not the case in our society. When our soul's mission does not serve the needs of society, then we are molded, programmed to become a healthy citizen. After all, as individuals, we are overwhelmed by the immense power of society, especially as helpless children. A process that represses our feelings, our inspiration, our true voice, our calling and creates a self-identity that is ruled by society's common sense. A self-identity, a character that we learn to play, whose ultimate concern, whose purpose in living is material success, enabling us, enabling us to function in a society and keep society running and healthy. This makes it imperative to differentiate sharply between the two concepts of health, one is governed by society, by society's necessities, and the other by the values and norms concerning the aim of individual existence. The socio-economic structure of society molds the self-identity of its members. 
so that they wish to do what they have to do. It is just common sense that we have to get a good education so that we can get a good job, so that we can make the money and reach material success. We force ourselves to deal with the dread in our bodies of having to work a job that is sucking our life force from us, that is in deep misalignment with our soul's purpose. We convince ourselves that this is what we have to do because it is what we have to do in order to meet our needs, in order to survive and hopefully succeed so that we have a roof over our head, so that we can put food on the table. We become cogs in the machine. This molding of our common sense, forging our self-identity and programming us with society's capitalism, cap common sense begins so early that we believe we are our self-identity. In our Western privileged world, we are under the delusion that we are free to do as, what, as we wish, that we can make of our lives what we want, only limited by our ingenuity, intelligence, and hard work, that we too can fulfill the promise of progress and capitalism. Yet, this is not the case, as is evidenced by the deep emptiness and the sense of powerlessness that we are all feeling having become slaves to the machine, cogs who have forgotten their life purpose. This molding and repressing of our life purpose is why the vast majority of us are desperate to return to normal. That is what we have ever known. Why there is a proliferation of conspiracy theories. We know the patriarchy is dying that society's common sense is bankrupt, that capitalism has failed. We are trying to find a good story that identifies the culprit, who is to blame, and more importantly, how to fix the situation. Yet there is no adjustment, no modification, no revision to our current situation that is going to resolve the crisis that we're in. Only a radical change in our way of life and to the systems that we support will lead to the phase shift that is needed. Capitalism is dead. As Mark Bayanoff, a chief executive of Salesforce, said at Davos, capitalism as we know it is dead. This obsession that we have with maximizing profits for shareholders alone has led to incredible inequality and a planetary emergency. The illusion of progress has been shown to be the lie that it is. Society's common sense capitalism is leading us towards the sixth mass extinction, clearly showing that society's common sense is irrational and pathological. Yet to accept this truth would mean that the part within us that has been hardwired towards material success whose self-esteem and life purpose is determined by material success would also have to die. We are a society that is most untrained in dealing with death and the grief that comes with it. Some of us are deep in anger fighting tooth and nail to keep our normal and make America great. A large percentage of us are under waves of depression, feeling the existential crisis that we are in. Some of us are in the stage of denial, 
convinced that we're going through mere setbacks, that once we get back to normal, things will be right as rain, that the political insurrection does not represent America, that our way of life, that material success, that progress is good and will lead to individual as well as planetary peace and harmony. The vast majority of us are in the bargaining stage as our entire way of life, our ability to make a living, to pay for the roof over our head, to pay for the food on our table, to be able to purchase the things that make life worth living, to make the most necessary money is deeply dependent on keeping our predatory economic system alive. We seem to have no choice. I write this on a computer that was made possible by the enslavement of people in the Republic of Congo. We are all slaves to the machine that is driving us to the sixth mass extinction. Society's common sense tell us we have no option. We are fucked. An image that encapsulates our society is given by the Osho tarot cards. If you could please Google it, uh, the suppression card shows a man that is being weighed down by ropes who has this immense burden on his shoulders being hunched over and all around it is this volcanic cracking around him. The wisdom shared is in Sanskrit. The name is Alaya Vijana. The house where you go on throwing into the basement things that you do not do, that you do not want to do, but you cannot. Because of social conditions, culture, civilization, common sense, they go on collecting there and they affect your actions, your life very indirectly. Directly, they cannot face you. You have forced them into the darkness, from, but from the darkness, they go on influencing your behavior. They are dangerous. It is dangerous to keep all those inhibitions inside of you. It is possible that these are the things that come to a climax when a person goes insane. Insanity is nothing but all these depressions coming to a point where you cannot control them anymore. Madness is acceptable while meditation is not. And meditation is the only way to make you absolutely sane, to connect to your life purpose and make sense of the world that we're in. The figure in this card is quite literally all tied up in knots. His light still shines within, but he has repressed his own vitality, trying to meet so many demands and expectations. He has given up all his own power and vision and returned to being and return to being accepted by the very same forces that have imprisoned him. The danger of suppressing one's natural energy and is apparent in the cracks of the volcanic eruption about to take place around the edges of the image. The real message of this card is to find a healthy outlet for these potential explosions. It is essential to find a way to release whatever tension and stresses might be building up inside of you right now. Don't wait for catastrophe to happen. This image represents us as a society and as individuals. 
So how do we find a healthy and regenerative manner to harness these energies that we're in? The image is also described by Bernary Brown's research. We are living in the age of shame. The process of being born into a dysfunctional society has installed this tyrannical voice, this narrative in our minds that is constantly telling us we're not good enough to follow our dreams, that we're not worthy of love and belonging, that is constantly trying us, telling us to follow society's common sense, to get back to normal so that we can fit in and be a good cog. Brene Brown's research also found that there are two beliefs that empower people to meet the challenges of life, to alchemize the ropes the limitations that society has placed on us to meet the situation to the best of our abilities, cultivating a life of engagement, finding meaning and purpose, empowering, empowering us to meet our core needs for connection, love and belonging, beliefs that empower us to self-actualize and meet our higher needs, beliefs that empower us to meet the circumstances that are at hand to build our character. The two beliefs are one, we are good enough. Two, spirituality, the belief that we are inextricably connected to one another by a force greater than ourselves, a force grounded in love and compassion. For some of us, that's God. For others, it's nature, the universe, life, art, creativity, whatever you call it, that there is a greater intelligence that is in constant communication with us, guiding us to find our life purpose. As Albert Einstein said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. These beliefs were taken on faith and had to stand in direct opposition to the scientific, mechanistic, common sense that has created our modern world. The standard story, the foundational basis for our modern common sense is based on Newtonian physics, evolutionary biology, and the institutions of secular academia that says only the material is real. The formation and function of the cosmos and the evolution of life are consequences of a combination of physical mechanisms and random chance. Life is an accidental outcome of material complexity and has no larger meaning or purpose. We imagine the cosmos much like a mechanical clockwork gradually running down as its springs unwinds. Building on the mechanistic determinism of classical physics, Classical biology holds that life evolves through a combination of chance, genetic mutation, and a competitive struggle by which the fitter survive and flourish as the weaker perish. According to the Grand Machine Cosmology, a brutal competition for survival territory and reproductive advantage is the basic law of nature, and these same instincts define our human nature. Indeed, as the capitalist and the promise of progress assure us, our competitive instinct is the primary and essential driver of human prosperity and progress. This led to the belief that we are separate individuals that has to fight and compete in a hostile world in order to survive and hopefully succeed. 
The great news is that our emerging scientific understanding of life, the universe, and our place within it is debunking the mechanistic common sense, providing scientific verification that we are good enough, that we are inextricably interconnected with all of life, that our health and well-being is only made possible by the health and well-being of every other life form and of the earth herself that we live in a friendly universe. This emerging scientific understanding is returning us to our indigenous and mystical roots. We are, each and every one of us, each being on this planet is a unique and integral part within the entire fabric of the universe. We are a supported part within an interconnected and interdependent web of life. We are like a red blood cell with our particular life purpose and work within the larger body of life that supports and nourishes us. Or we are like a note in a symphony. Without us, something would be missing from the song of the universe. Life, universe, creator, source, both are imminent and transcendent. That is, we live in a universe that is alive and conscious, that is in constant communication with us. Inside each and every one of us, at the core of our being, lives the source of all things. The kingdom of heaven is within. Each soul, each human being, each and every one of us is born with a soul's mission and a life purpose. On this journey, we are given a guide that lives deep inside of us, the core of our being, our internal guidance system, our original real common sense that is felt in the depth of our bones and the wisdom of our bodies. This system's perspective describes God, nature, the universe, the goddess, which is found in our indigenous mystical roots as the un unmanifested principle in all manifestation, the source of creation. Contrary to the theories of social Darwinism, the patriarchal common sense capitalism and the promise of progress, the integral system's common sense recognizes that life is fundamentally a cooperative enterprise. Indigenous wisdom keepers speak of the Creator's original instructions to humans to get along with one another and with nature. Brain scientist tells us that, human, that the human brain evolved to reward cooperation, mutual support, and compassion, suggesting that the creative process of evolution have programmed these original instructions into our brain and DNA. Values that are dormant inside of us that are ready to be activated at this moment. Caring relationships, authenticity, and integrity are the foundations of healthy families, communities, and society as a whole. The golden rule common to all major faiths is better guide to appropriate moral and economic behavior than the mechanistic rules and the patriarchy's common sense. We find threads of this story in the traditional wisdom teachings of indigenous people and the mystical traditions of all faiths including the Abrahamic faith. Jesus taught, the kingdom of heaven is within. Muhammad taught, wherever you turn, there is the face of Allah. Hindus state that the highest guru, the Atman, is within. 
by following your awe, by living your soul's purpose, by self-actualizing, we take our rightful place in the Congress of the Web of Life. By finding our song, we help heal the world that we live in. What the world needs now is you to find your medicine, your gift, and to share it with the world. This empowers us to understand the crisis we are in. Extreme individualism, greed, and violence are pathological and signs of physical, developmental, cultural, and institutional system failure. The crisis is supporting us and propelling us to evolve, to build a new system, to birth a new age for humanity, and to birth a new human becoming the surfers that harness the challenges that we face into a phase shift for humanity. What does this spiritual woo-woo and self-actualization have to do with me paying my bills, making the all-important money, and making sense of the vast, vast, vast uncertainty that we face? Finally, to the point of this story that I'm sharing with you now. Martin Luther King once said the self-actualization for the majority of our existence was a spiritual privilege. This spiritual journey, this self-actualization is now a matter of our survival. The great news is that our economic system has already self-adapted, providing revenue streams to meet the challenges before us and meet all our needs by self-actualizing. In particular, there is a massive shift that is occurring in our education industry. We are shifting from acquiring, acquiring an immense amount of debt for a piece of paper that means less and less in our modern world to self-education. People want specialized knowledge. People are looking to reinvent themselves and are looking for experts that can give them pragmatic knowledge. What does this mean for you? That your life purpose, your self-actualization, your uniqueness is what's going to empower you to make a living, to build bonds of connection and intimacy and to get the rest of your needs met. Each and every single one of us has something that we love when we look out into the world, we see things that we can improve, things that we can create that will bring joy and pleasure to others and ourselves. We see things that can be done better, how to parent better, how to garden better, how to eat better, how to make toys better, how to live with more confidence and clarity, how to create healthy relationships, how to live a life of authenticity, integrity, and creativity. We all have something that turns us on, that makes us come alive, that is in alignment with our life purpose. Becoming an expert in your field, becoming self-actualized, empowers you to meet your hierarchy of needs. We've had it all backwards. We thought material success is the foundation to meet our needs, but in the emerging world, it is our self-actualization that is going to empower us to meet our physical needs as well as our higher needs. Our self-actualization is what is going to empower us to make that money. What I have experienced is that there is no greater source of pride, confidence, clarity, and joy than when, I'm, than when I'm doing what I love and sharing it with people. Having an impact on people by contributing to their lives in a meaningful way. Being self-actualized is a prerequisite for meeting our needs for connection, love, and belonging. 
You cannot get to know someone. You cannot love someone unless you love and care for yourself first. A foundational part of this self-love is discovering who you are, doing what you were born to do. What is more, by becoming self-actualized in this booming industry that is already producing $200 billion a year and is predicted to grow to $320 billion by 2025, is that you can meet your physical needs for food, shelter, and warmth. You can make that essential money in a stable and reliable manner by self-actualizing. You can find safety and security knowing that you have the skills to adapt to the changing market, that you have a gift that is valuable and that people are willing to pay for. Now, this self-actualization, as simple as it sounds, just be you. Follow your internal guidance system, follow your dreams, trust the universe and the process of life, engage with life. Yet being ourselves is the most immense challenge that we face. In comparison to climate change, our political chaos, racism, sexism, and a system of violence and oppression, these challenges pale in comparison to the amount of trauma that the patriarchy, capitalism, and the illusion of progress has inflicted on us as individuals and as a society. We are living in the age of shame, where the vast majority of us are plagued by our self-identity that is hardwired into our brains and recognized as the voice of not enough. The great news is that we can do something about this on, the day, on a daily basis. With every thought, word, and action, we can choose to believe this voice or choose love. To choose to live from fear or to choose to live from love. We, not, we might not be able to control or affect the larger challenges that we face, but we can affect our immediate space and the people around us. As our emergent scientific understanding proves Gandhi's wisdom, by becoming the change, we affect the change in the greater system. We will get into the fractal nature of the universe and the cosmology part that it will share next week that proves that the outer world, that the collective chaos that we're living in is a manifestation of our collective inner chaos. That becoming the change you want to see in the world is the most effective action to create the world you know is possible. On March 21st, I am launching a one-year rite of passage that empowers you to birth a new you, that empowers you to identify the limiting beliefs that have held you back in fear, a rite of passage that empowers you to meet this fear with love and transmute your limiting beliefs into your greatest allies and guides, finding new levels of clarity and confidence. A rite of passage that empowers you to recognize when you are in a primal state gripped by fear into survival mode. A rite of passage that provides the tools, practices to shift out of your primal state into a regenerative state, harnessing your higher cognitive realms of emotional awareness and reason to leverage the full breadth of your creative abilities and faculties to meet the moment at hand. A rite of passage that trains you to live in your optimal zone. Just as there is an optimal zone for physical training, there is an optimal zone for spiritual, psychological, and emotional growth. The fable flow state, being in the present moment, enlightenment.
Enlightenment not as a sudden break with reality or a permanent refuge from pain, but as a gradual lightening up, so that the downswings are far briefer and less deep, that we are gripped less and less by society's common sense and fear into our primal state. Enlightenment as being able to access our regenerative state, our optimal zone, so we can live with more equanimity, flow, and joy. A greater ability to live in our optimal zone to meet the challenges before us. And let enlightenment as an increased ability to be useful to others in listening, nourishing, understanding, and comforting others. Enlightenment as being clear, especially about interdirected life goals and intentions, which comes when we let go of trying to please or impress others, when we let go of society's common sense and we follow a real common sense, our internal guidance system, by taming our horses and connecting to our soul's mission, trusting our feelings, our thoughts, our emotions, our reasons, finding confidence to take action. This is an ongoing process. And for most of us, it takes many lifetimes. But in the one year rite of passage, you will gain the tools to truly embark on the path of self-actualization, being able to make a living by sharing your life purpose. The path to self-actualization begins with you, starting from where you are now accepting that life has brought you to this moment. As we reach the end of this piece, I would like to take you through an exercise. Please stand up and just start to bounce up and down. Let your shoulders loose, let your hands loose. Just shake it all out, get a little bit faster. And then stop. Bend your knees, get into horse stance, gently lift your hands from your shoulders out in front of you. Imagine that you're holding a ball of energy and just sit and sit to the point where it feels uncomfortable, where your legs start shaking. Focus on your breath, deepen your breath, sink a little bit deeper. 10 more seconds. Slowly stand up, bringing your hands towards your stomach and just breathe. Now I'm gonna ask you a series of questions. Don't try to find an answer, just feel what is your dream? What is your life purpose? Why did you incarnate at this most critical time in human history? Connecting to our dreams is a most challenging and difficult process for most of us as we have been disconnected from our feelings, from our dreams, from our internal guidance system during our most formative and vulnerable years. It is but a faint nebulous whisper for most of us, but it is there. Your guide has never left you. Your mission is to connect towards your internal guidance system and live your life under its direction. 
making your life purpose your ultimate concern. Taking the time, making the effort to connect to your deepest self, grounding into the wisdom of your body, feeling your feelings, connecting to your inspiration and your dreams. If you keep asking, meditating and listening, you will get an insight into your dreams. Then make a plan. As you begin to take the steps to make this plan a reality, you will meet the army of the patriarchal program hardwired into your brain. All the voices inside your head that say you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not educated enough, you're not enough. All the voices that try to stop you from taking action, to stay safe, to not try, that are ingeniously masterful of coming up with a plethora of excuses for you not to do the work, not to take action, and not to be true to your word, not to follow your plan to make your dream a reality. You, your responsibility is to be true to yourself. This is the leading edge of our evolution, the process of facing, healing, and integrating your shadow. The great news is the path of self-actualization has been cultivated for the last 5,000 years. Two foundational tools that I highly recommend that you integrate into your life right now is meditation and mindfulness. Developing a sitting practice helps you observe your mind, helps you allow to forge your sword of discernment. Your sword of discernment empowers you to differentiate the cacophony of voices in your head, gaining the ability to tell the difference between your self-identity, the patriarchal program of obedience, and your internal guidance system, your curiosity, your inspiration. Mindfulness is the practice of meditation on the playing field. As you interact with people in the pursuit of your dreams, you will face triggering situations. These triggers are the programs hardwired into your amygdala by the patriarchy during your most formative and vulnerable years. These triggers run us under our conscious awareness, driving us towards reacting, repeating unhealthy patterns of behavior. Triggers make us disconnect, defend, or attack as they activate our survival mechanism. Triggers make us feel that our lives are physically threatened if we say what we feel, if we express how we are feeling, if we take inspired action and we follow our curiosity. Remember, this is where we grow. The vast majority of us experience an enormous amount of pain and trauma growing up in our dysfunctional society. We are traumatized. It is going to take an enormous amount of effort, perseverance, dis discipline, and devotion to rebuild your creative and self-actualization muscle. These muscles are strengthened through your breath by turning to your sword of discernment forged in your meditation practice. On the field, you can use your sword of discernment to override the fight, flight or flight mechanism and access your higher cognitive realms of emotional awareness and reason, which provides the choice to respond to the situation, creating a space to connect to your feelings, cultivating the strength of vulnerability by sharing what you feel in a healthy and regenerative manner. Each time that you are authentic, you connect deeper to your life purpose. 
each time that you cultivate the strength of your vulnerability, you increase your capacity to feel joy, love, and connection. Each time that you respond instead of reacting, each time that you choose love over fear, you are ending the cycle of violence that has ruled humanity for the last 5,000 years. These two tools and these two beliefs, you are good enough and you are inextricably connected to all of life empowers you to become the warrior of love that stands up to defend all that is sacred and essential to life by finding your life purpose, by self-actualizing, by choosing love over fear. We are living in prophetic times. We find a common story in our mystical indigenous roots, a time when a great darkness would come over the land, a dark and nefarious force that would spread throughout the land and threaten all of life and all that is sacred. When the earth is ravaged and all the animals are dying, a new tribe of people will come unto the earth of many colors, creeds, and classes, and who by their actions and deeds shall make the earth green again. They shall be known as the warriors of the rainbow, coming together under a common cause and a common vision, standing up to protect all that is sacred and essential to life. It is that hour. There are things to be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relationships? Are you in right relationship? Where is your water? Know your garden. It is time to speak your truth. Create your community. Be good to each other. And don't look outside yourself for your leader. Then the elder clasped his hand, smiled and said, this could be a good time. There is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift. There are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are being torn apart and will suffer greatly. No, the river has a destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off to the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above water. And I say, see who is there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey comes to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourself. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we have been waiting for. We stand at the dawning of a new, new age. It is not our circumstances, but how we respond to them that determines our character and our lives. The river is nature propelling us towards a phase shift. Each of us face a choice of existential proportions. Do we continue as we have, desperately trying to get things back to normal, desperately trying to hold on to the shore of the dying patriarchy and capitalism, or do we make radical change to our lives, our way of being, and the systems that we live in? Do we trust the great river of change that is before us? Do we let go of our self-identity, of the patriarchal common sense? Do we let go of that tyrannical narrative inside of our heads and trust ourselves? We are good enough. You are good enough. 
you are lovable. Trusting that this river, that this crisis has a reason, a purpose, and a destination, delivering us into a new age for humanity, alchemizing us into a new human. The choice between holding on to the shore and letting go comes back to fear and love. This is not taking ourselves too seriously. I believe this re refers to the voice in our head and how it can overwhelm us into making us believe we are our self-identity. Let go. Trust that you can create yourself anew with each moment, with each choice. A choice we make every day, every moment, with every thought, every word, every action. The elders also say there are two wolves inside of us. One that is based in fear, anger, jealousy, scarcity, not enoughness, never enoughness, and self-esteem that leads to a life of emptiness and isolation. And one based on love, courage, vulnerability, connection, regeneration, enoughness, and self-compassion that leads to freedom, authenticity, integrity, and a sense of true safety, security, and belonging. A voice that leads to fulfillment and satisfaction. The voice of fear leads to a life of shame. The voice of love leads to a life lived with courage, confidence, and clarity, living one's life purpose and sacred relationship to the source of creation. In the vast chaos and uncertainty that we're living in, in the immensely powerful river that is surging around us, it is actually pretty simple. Do you choose to live and act from primal or regenerative state? Do you choose love or fear? A choice that we can recognize through our bodies. Is our breath short? Is our body tight? Are our palms sweating? Are we gripped by flight or fight? Are we being ruled by negative and limiting thoughts? Or are we in a calm and relaxed state, aware of the dangers but not overwhelmed, them, overwhelmed by them? able to respond with love in action. This choice between love and fear determines our lives, for our beliefs creates our thoughts. Our thoughts create our emotions, which informs our actions, which leads to our results. If we believe we are not good enough, we will live in a primal state. If when we are gripped in a primal and we return to the belief that we are good and that the universe is friendly, that life has presented the situation for a greatest evolution, then we can take effective, powerful action which leads to effective results, taking part in the birthing of a new world. We stand at the dawning of a new age, a moment akin to when Copernicus knocked us off the center of the universe and ushered in our modern world. Our current scientific understanding of life, the universe, and our place within it is returning us to our indigenous and mystical wisdom. We are enough. Each and every one of us is a unique and integral part of the web of life. Without you, the song of the universe would have something integral missing. What is your song? What is your gift? Now is the time. The challenges, the crises that we're facing are perfectly natural and are actually supporting us to make the radical change in our lives to birth this new age. The cauldron to create this new world is forged inside your heart by every choice that you make, love or fear. 
You chose to be born at this most critical time in order to be the warrior of love, the genius, the heroine that stands up to defend all that is sacred and essential to life by dethroning the last tyrant that stands before us and the hollowed vision of democracy, the voice of fear that was programmed into our brains by our dysfunctional patriarchal society. We stand at the dawning of a new age creating a world and way of life that future generations can be proud of by believing in yourself, self-actualizing, and sharing your gift with the world. What the world needs now is you. You have the medicine to heal our world. What is your gift? What is your life purpose? What do you dream of? You are the one you have been waiting for.